pop quiz time. <laughs> I mentioned earlier in the service that last week we heard about the wife of Moses whose name was Zipporah. Zipporah. And today we're going to be talking about a woman by the name of Rahab. Good job. So I'll read um, from Joshua 2 in just a moment. And then Barbara from Community of the Savior will be sharing this story and um, preaching about that. She's been here several other times. Um, it's really good to maintain this connection with our sister church and with Barbara. Um, she was a part of our lament service we did a few years ago. And um, I think last summer, two summers ago, I think you said it was two summers ago, when we did the Ten Commandments series, Barbara came and spoke about the Sabbath and rest. So she's not new here, um, but if you've never met her, you should come say hi afterwards. Um, and I'm looking forward to hearing from her again. Our story today comes from Joshua 2, so you can take the Bible and follow along with me. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Is Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the, in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless we enter the land. You have tied the scarlet cord in your window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. 
As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. So some of you who have been here a long time might know the connection between Community of the Savior and this place. And Community of the Savior, where I'm co-pastor with Doug Cullum, was a church plant. And when we first began, we had an evening worship service here at your church. And you welcomed us and opened this space to us to use as we were beginning. We were about 12 or 15 people at that time. And then we were looking for some place we could use in the morning, so we moved. And then from there we purchased a building, and we're in College Town. Um, if you ever are that way, stop in and say hello to us. So the connection between New Hope and Community of the Savior is strong because we feel like you were part of our birthing process. And um, I'm so delighted that Scott, Pastor Scott, is doing this series this summer because women in the Bible are sometimes not noticed or not given as much preaching time or study time as others. And so it's wonderful that he's doing that. So when he said, would you preach on one of the women in the Bible? I said, yes. And then I was like, who might I get? Queen Esther, but then uh, Katrina got her. But, you know, Katrina is so royal looking, right? So I'm like, she has that bearing of a queen. So I'm like, oh, well, maybe Ruth. But Christina LaSalle-Peterson has Ruth, and she'll be preaching next week because she's such a faithful follower of God. And so Pastor Scott gave me rehab. I I don't know. (laughs) But when you get over the initial shock. She is a wonderful, wonderful character in the Bible and has so much to teach us. So I want to explore that a little bit with you today. And first, there's this thing called the Dr. Quinn medicine woman phenomenon. Now, that's not a real thing. It's my thing. Okay. If any of you were around in the 1990s and you saw the show Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, It was about this woman in the Wild West who was the first female doctor in supposedly the United States or whatever. And so people didn't accept her as a doctor, and they had all of these strange, um, you know, thoughts about her and assumptions about her. But what Dr. Quinn, medicine woman, tried to do, and this is what made it humorous, though it wasn't trying to be, is it tried to take current issues, issues of the 1990s and beyond, and talk about them in the context of like the early 1800s where it was set. And it just didn't work, (laughs) okay? It was a strange thing. But when we come to the Bible, sometimes we have this, what I call, Dr. Quinn, medicine woman phenomenon. So we take something from the Bible 
and we apply our own cultural sensibilities of our time to it. So, for instance, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well in Samaria, and he says, so call your husband here, and she says, well, I, I don't have a husband. Yes? Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. So he, he, she says to him, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. You don't have a husband. You have had five men, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. And we think, hmm, naughty girl, right? But she lived in a culture where she wouldn't have had the right to tell a husband to get out. So what we have instead is a woman who has been abandoned at least five times. And that might explain why Jesus was so kind to her and not pointedly pointing out what we look at as her sin. Because we're looking at it from a Dr. Quinn medicine woman, five men, but five men have pushed her out because remember, in that culture, things were different for women. So that's what I'm talking about. So when we look at someone like Rahab, we think of, of prostitution in this day and age, and we might impose our thoughts about our own culture on, on her and what life was like for her. But a couple of things we should realize is that she was very poor. We know that she was very poor because A, she lived on the wall of the city, which was like the slum section of Jericho. So we know she was very poor. Maybe there were not a lot of options for her. We also know that in addition to this, she was doing agricultural things because upon her roof, she's wrapping flax because she hides them under flax. So this is a woman who is so desperate to keep life together, that she's doing a variety of things, some which we would say are very unwholesome things. So before we judge her very harshly, remember that we're living in a different time period. Um, and even, even in our time period, many people out of desperation are pushed to do things that would never be their first choice. And if you'd like to explore that topic, Further. Um, Philip Yancey wrote a book, What Good is God? And in that book, he talks to different people, surprising groups, and he talks to a group of sex workers. And it's a really, really eye-opening chapter. So, so I'll just put that out there. So anyway, setting up the story of Rahab, let's come to it with, um, instead of a judgmental kind of view of what she's doing, let's come to it with this is a desperate, desperate woman, okay? Um, maybe that explains more why, why Pastor Scott chose me for this. So there are some fascinating things about Rahab. First, the spies that go to Jericho are unnamed. The men in the story that are, the actors in the story are not named, but Rahab is named as a key feature in the story. That in itself is usual for the time period, especially considering her occupation, etc. She's also named 
in the genealogy of Christ. If you look at the first chapter of Matthew, her name is there. And not everyone in the genealogy of Christ is named, but she is specifically named, which is a a rare and beautiful thing there. She's also named by the writer of Hebrews as an example of faith, of someone who showed uncommon hospitality because she loved God. And so that is an example of faith for us. And she's also named in the book of James by the writer of James as a person who put their faith into action. Faith accompanied by works of righteousness. So in James, it's really interesting that James talks about some, you can't have faith without showing it somehow. If you have true faith, it's going to exude from you in ways, in works and words, in testimony. So James is making that point, and he says, like our father Abraham, the father of the faith. And then he chooses a female example, and he didn't go Abraham and Sarah, that some might have thought he would do, but he said, like Rahab, who welcomed the spies in his name. So Rahab there is set out, you know, partnering with Abraham and Rahab. So there's something phenomenal about this woman that she would be so honored in the Bible. God rewards this woman for her civil disobedience. She does things that are against the laws of her city and place. She hides spies who are planning to overthrow her city and people. She lies to the king about it when interrogated. And I think of like the Hebrew midwives who lie to Pharaoh that, well, the Hebrew women have their babies so fast, you know, we can't even get there. Say nothing about killing the male babies. We're not even there yet because they're so hardy. Right? And God blesses those midwives for their protection. And God blesses Rahab for her protection. She's blessed for her part in helping God's people whom she hopes to join. In the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, we read, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not lie. But sometimes it seems that the believer must weigh what it means to serve God in specific instances. And it's far beyond the scope of this brief sermon, but a topic that is ripening for consideration and discussion in our culture. So, during the Holocaust, there were people who defied their government and hid Jews. During the abolitionist movement in this country, There were people that defied the laws of the land and helped people get out of slavery to freedom. So this story is a wonderful story to explore some of those topics that's far beyond what we can do this morning. But listen to this thought. And it's not giving license to lying, which would be against God's wishes, I'm sure. But notice the word against. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You do not bring harm that is unjust. So there have been times in history, and there may be times again, when God's law and God's cause and God's call 
will be above the law of the land, and that's what we would have to honor. So Rahab is fascinating for lots of reasons. I, um, I find this chapter, you know, really interesting, the detail that it gives about her life. She is someone who prophesies for God. In verse 9 it says, I know God has given you the land. She's displaying more faith in what God tells the people than many of God's people themselves. In verse 10, she recounts God's faithfulness. For we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. And she talks about victory over the kings who opposed them. She's someone who's curious about this God who has a plan for his people. In verse 11, she names God as Lord. He is God in heaven above and on earth below. Verse 12, she places her hope in God and she asks to be part of God's people. Verse 13, she shows God's mercy to them, hiding and helping them to escape, even giving them advice. And something about this woman's bearing must have been such that these men follow it, which is unusual in itself for that day in a patriarchal society. But she tells them, go to the mountains, hide there three days. She gives them exact instructions, and they follow those exact instructions. So she not only protects, but she advises them. She aids them and then asks for mercy for her family. Now, in that time period, another reason we know that she must have been a poor woman is because no one would have resorted to that as an occupation unless their family was not taking care of them. And because she asks for them to be included in this mercy given, then we have the sense that the whole family was very poor and they just didn't have the means, even working together, um, to do what was necessary. So she says, don't just save me, save my family. How many of us are praying that? I'm praying that. I'm praying that. I'm sure we all have people on our hearts that we're praying for God's mercy, not just to us, but for those around us. So this woman in her own, maybe innocent, naive, or embryonic way, is thinking theologically. And she has an openness of heart that is really unusual for a woman of her time. She's thinking about questions that the world around us is thinking about. Who is this God? Who are God's people? And what are they like? And what does this mean for me? And as she thinks about these questions, she recognizes her own need. And then she says, I want to come into your community. I want to leave this life and all I know, and I want to be part of your community. It's a really wise thing to recognize that when you are seeking salvation or when God is granting salvation to anyone, that community is still a necessary part of that. It's not just a personal decision, but we're called to grow together in community. That's where iron sharpens iron. That's where we 
pray for each other, we weep with each other, we rejoice with each other, we admonish one another when we see someone slipping away in some way. So she, in many ways, is wiser, maybe, than the men that she's talking to in their experience with God's community. She's courageous, she's bright, she's loyal, she's hopeful, and she's faithful. She takes a scarlet thread, as they ask her to do, and hangs it out her window. Something that is pretty obvious. Now, maybe not as obvious as this is up here today, but maybe it is. Because it has to be seen, because she doesn't want to be missed and perish with the city. And so she takes a chance at showing this scarlet thread for everyone to see takes a chance that her own countrymen might question what it is and turn her in. She's a very courageous woman, and she puts all of her energy on the possibility and the hope of God's redemption of her, of the possibility of a new start and a new life. Um, John Hoffman, Jr. says this about the scarlet rope. He says it was sacramental. Sacramental in the way that Wesley describes sacrament, an outward sign of an inward work of grace that God was doing in her life. Sacramental. So Rahab leaves not only this spiritual legacy of hope and faith for us, but there's something very interesting about her that she leaves, and that is she leaves this familial this lineage, this inheritance of hope for those that follow her. Now, when you read in the first chapter of Matthew about the lineage of Christ, and she's named there as Boaz's mother, okay? And many of you probably know Boaz from the book of Ruth. We don't know if it was his mother or grandmother because the way that things were worded back then, any, any woman in my line you know, my grandmother, great-grandmother would be called a mother to me. You know, a mother that passed down her inheritance to me. But we read about Boaz in the book of Ruth. And something, I just feel like Boaz caught something from this mother or grandmother in his life. A sensitivity to that. And I just wanted to point out a, a few things about him. He's a man of great wealth, and yet he blesses his workers. He treats them fairly. When he comes out in the field and greets his workers, he says, May the Lord be with you. And he showed this protection of Ruth when she comes to glean poor people, just went around the edges of the field and picked up whatever grain was dropped. And you were commanded, leave a little bit, Remember the poor among you. There wasn't a tax to pay that would go to them, but you were to leave actual grain so that people could pick it up. And Boaz shows protection when this Ruth, who is from Moab, comes home to that area with her mother-in-law but leaves her family and land far behind. So it's home for, it's home for Naomi, her mother-in-law, but it's totally strange to Ruth. But he says to his workers, leave extra for her. Don't make her work so hard. And then he says to Ruth, stay with my workers. Stay with the women here working because you'll be safe here. You'll be protected here. 
he draws water and gives it to her. He feeds her lunch. When they sit down to work, he serves her. Why was he so kind to her since she was a foreigner? That's the question she asks. Why is he being nice to me because I'm a foreigner here? And his answer is, all that you've done for your mother-in-law and how you have left your father and mother in the land of your birth and come to a people you did not know. That's why he was being kind to her. He had a sensitivity, what it would be like to leave everything behind and place your lot in with God's people. And so when we look at the story of Rahab, we see she's noted for her faith. She's noted for her acts of hospitality, even to spies who were from a different culture. She's noted for all these things, but it doesn't say in the book of Ruth that Boaz also received something from her, but it sounds like he did. And Boaz redeems Ruth. He redeems her. And, and this woman, Rahab, knows what it means to be redeemed. So in Rahab, we have just this wonderful inheritance of faith and understanding what that is. But we have a reminder, a good reminder for all of us, that God works through the unlikely. That we cannot predict or know just from our intellect or emotional IQ or whatever who will respond to grace or where God is already at work before we get there. And God is at work throughout the whole world before we get there. Sometimes we think it all depends on us. But we have a God who loves the world so much that he sent Christ. And God is at work before us. So the goal of Christianity is to notice where God is already working, even in the ordinary around us, and to join God's work. That's what we're called to do. Not to be solo in God's work, but to join in that. We cannot understand where God has opened hearts to hear the message of salvation. And so we have to live as a testimony. We have to be a testimony everywhere because God just might surprise us who he has already called. This is good news to us as recipients of salvation because you can never go so low and you can never be so lost that God cannot stoop to sweep you up into his story and into his loving care. And then, as messengers of grace, the message for us here is never be without hope. God can do, as Ephesians 3.20 says, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us exceedingly, abundantly, above all, more, 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 more. It's good news to me that God can call a woman like Rahab. And no, I don't have that past. But I have things in my life that I would think, why would God call me to be a minister of grace? I'm a woman 
and in a time period where a lot of women were just told, you cannot be a pastor. I was told that for over 20 years. And I kept being so confused by what I knew was a call from God and yet the messages around me. So that was one, um, one way that I was, um, a barrier was placed in front of me to accept that call. Another barrier for me was that I was a musician who went deaf at the age of 23. So I lost all of my hearing at the age of 23. And so if you stand behind me and talk, you'll notice I don't answer you and no, I'm not rude. <laughs> okay. I don't hear without lip reading as part of that. I have a cochlear implant. But there are so many ways, working with a disability, working as a woman, there are so many ways that I think, hmm, why would God choose me? And then I look at women like Rahab that I'm sure was like, why would God choose me? And yet she went to be among God's people and lived with God's people. And she gave birth to someone in the lineage of Christ. You can't get more involved in the story of God's grace than that. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 21, 31, that harlots are going into the kingdom of God before some of the hardened religious leaders of his day. We can't look at people and their experiences and say, I don't think so. A friend of mine used to work at RIT, and there was a visiting professor from China that came to RIT, and he was brilliant. He spoke, I don't know how many languages, like four or five languages fluently, and he was just a brilliant man. And so this group of Christians there were praying for him, and they were like, he's so intellectual, and he's so wonderful. How can we present the gospel so that he will understand it and respond to it so while they were about this you know analysis of how to witness and praying for him someone knocked on his door on a saturday morning and just like two witnesses you know witnessing people from a, a local baptist church and, and said if you died today do you know where you would be for eternity and he responded by getting on his knees and accepting christ and so this, this intellectual group of friends of his were like, what? <laughs> you know, how did that happen? We cannot assume anything about how God is working in the hearts of others. All we can do is join God's plan, join in his work, extend hospitality like Rahab did, and ask how can I be part of this story? How can I be part of this people? You know, the margins, and Rahab was on the margins by her femaleness, by her uh, Canaaniteness, by her work that wasn't respectable. You know, margins are created by us, not God. We know that, right? There are no margins in God's kingdom. Thank God. And so, whoever we see, wherever we go, we live as witnesses to grace because God's grace is already there and it might just be doing something where there's an openness of heart. So what I'd like for you to do just for a couple of minutes is just close your eyes and pray for the people around you that you'll meet this week or someone who's on your heart. Pray for those 
that you might have judged that God is not going to work it with or not without some serious change because we just don't know and pray that you can be part of God's story partnering with him to spread the gospel of delight of inclusion for all people and that the lostness and the least of this world would see that Christians stand for them, not against them in any way. So if you want to keep your eyes open and look at this scarlet thread of redemption and remember Christ's blood flowing down for you, or however you'd like to just spend a moment in prayer, I ask you to do that with me.